0: How long before, you know, do you get called? Does your name get called at the gate quite often? Remember aeroplanes? Do you get called at the gate quite often?
1: (laughs) Quite often, yes, Bruce. (laughs) You've just done that to us. I
0: mean, I feel like the pilot who's about to say, close the doors and cross-check, Um, and uh, Passenger Tempo Choir, your luggage has been offloaded. But we didn't. We didn't have to offload your luggage. We're delighted that you're here. You're a very busy guy. You've been very, very busy, particularly recently, in a very angry and justifiably angry way about the state of the south african business environment particularly the small business environment an environment you care about very very deeply you showed us that with dragon's den you have shown us that um multiple times in the past with the advice that you give to lots of people i was looking at your twitter feed earlier and lots of people paid tribute to the advice that you've given them in starting their businesses recently though you've been quite apoplectic take us through what you've been feeling recently
1: um, so, thanks first, Bruce, for having me. Um, I think that, you know, here's my perspective. I think if you're a South African and you're not angry, then you're not paying attention. So, if you think about where we are and where we've come from, what was promised to us and what's been delivered, it's a far cry from what we all all of us were expecting. I work, as you know, Bruce, I have the privilege of running a venture capital firm. I'm a managing partner in a private equity firm. So, I work every single day with businesses, small, medium, and large, and those business owners and founders helping them build businesses. That's what I do when I'm not on a platform speaking or traveling the world. So what I think my frustration has been around is, is that what politicians are playing games with is stuff that you and I are living and experiencing in the everyday world. So I know of people that have been retrenched. We ourselves and one or two of the businesses we hold have had to make some retrenchments. By God's incredible grace, we have a fairly balanced portfolio. So we've also seen businesses, particularly on our tech side, enterprise and consumer, that have done very well. But this is a very difficult time, um, I think, for everybody. And my frustration has simply been... That I don't think that those in charge understand the urgency of the moment, and the fact that we can't be politicking and playing games. We certainly can't have policy uh, lack of coherence at a time like this. It, it's absolutely suicidal for many people in business.
0: I remember Mulletsi and Becky on a podium. 15 years ago, maybe slightly less, you know, maybe 12 years ago, standing up and saying, you know, the problem with government is that nobody in government has got any business experience. My brother, who was the president at the time, Tabo Mbeki, is the only member of the government that has got any business experience. And his business experience was managing the store my my, my spaza shop. Um, And he said, you know, and that's the business experience of of cabinet. And that's Mueletzi and Becky having a jolly good go at his brother's government. And that was a government that appreciated or certainly showed a greater appreciation for the role of business. And if we don't appreciate the role of business with a tax shortfall this year of 300 billion rand and possibly more, then I'm not sure we're ever going to get the plot. Do you get any sense that there is any... Appreciation of the role that people who sweat blood every single day to put food on the table, create jobs and pay their taxes will ever be appreciated?
1: Mm. So I think one of the challenges we have, Bruce, is because we're living in this rather insidious age of identity politics, the word business has become synonymous with white and white has become synonymous with this idea of monopoly capital, which in my mind, you know, somebody needs to tether that argument for me. So when you hear a politician, for instance, which we've heard say, that let the economy collapse because it's white. I mean, taxi drivers and taxi owners work in the same economy. I, can't, I don't know of a single own, uh, owned, white-owned taxi. So, too, do many people who work in the informal sector. There's a video that went viral of me showing an office. And in, in that office, I remember, it was probably about 70% of the people in there who were black and black African. Following that, I received countless phone calls from people who worked in that office. One of them I'll never forget, a young lady coming out of Fosloras who phoned me and said she has a, a diploma in tourism. That was her first job. And she's that company has since closed and she's been retrenched. And she now can't find a job because of what's happened in tourism. So one of the problems I think we have is those of us, like myself, who are in business, and many of my friends like me will admit to this, albeit not in public, just don't have the courage to speak the truth about the moment. The moment is this. South Africa is challenged. True. South Africa needs to transform. Absolutely. We have a lot of work to do. But the idea that you need to let the entire country go to the DOG or rather let the entire economy collapse so that you can rebuild it again. We've heard that argument. Not so long ago, somebody said that, that the, land, the RAND collapsed and we'll, we'll pick it up. bulla.
0: Yes, Numbula, bless Numbula.
1: We've seen what the RAND is doing today, and I didn't see yeah. a single comment from the person about what was the measures to pick it up. So this idea that there's this nefarious, terrible thing called business and capital and it's here to exploit is absolutely rubbish. All of these people sitting on the sidelines, bemoaning the state, only bemoan it because they are not in it to build for themselves. Because one of the things we've seen is that the very instance where they have power, in particular political power, they exploit that power, build shacks for 64,000 rand so that they can enrich themselves. So I I, I, I often say the only problem socialists have with capitalists is they, they hate the rich. They don't hate money.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I mean, your, your, your rage is palpable um, and you've expressed it very, very clearly because you come from a place, as a kid, growing up, mum was a domestic worker. You came from Benoni and you admit this in public. So I'm not, you know, you and Charlize um, and Stephen Koseff and lots of other people, lovely people, uh, come from Benoni. Um, yet, as a young kid, you were spotted by a teacher and who said, this guy can string a sentence together. Actually, he strings a whole bunch of sentences together, and he does it very convincingly. And you were pushed onto stages of global public speaking, and you won awards. And ever since then, you've been flexing that muscle, the muscle, um, your mouth and the muscle in between your ears, and using your skills to tell stories that matter. Yeah. Um, and, and, and um, in that process also you I think you were director of I've forgotten who. who uh, what, what were they called the food uh, Metro Cash and Carry yeah. Metro Cash and Carry thank you very much you see you remember I don't uh, Metro Cash <laughs> and Carry you've had a varied career I mean you've, you've worked in, in business but you've also you know, set up your own business you've also set up your own firm and you've yeah. become somebody who has paid attention to globally why are you not being paid more attention to at home do you think
1: well, I, you know, I think it's the whole thing about how a prophet has no glory in their own home. Um, I think that's maybe a big part to do with it. But I also think that in South Africa is going through this moment right now where the packaging is more important than the package. So if Vusi says something, for instance, it's how he says it. That's that's the thing that people
0: have. <laughs> oh, you we use bad language. You swear words. You're so vulgar. How dare you be yeah, vulgar? yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. so it's either, hey, he shouldn't have used the F word, or some people say, why what, what does he speak with an American accent? And I said something to somebody the other day. I said, if you think my Ameri- my accent is American, you've clearly never been to America. I've, you know, I've done professional locution lessons for the past 15 years. I would have had to. I'm a two-time world champion public speaker. I hold the world record in the five-minute format of public speaking. My role is that I have to be in Japan one day and in Kuala Lumpur the next, and then in Argentina the next, and be audible. So excuse me if my accent has to be universal. It's not American. My vowel sounds are, f- are not flat, for instance, like the people who go to private schools. So I don't say lock, brew, lock, right? No, it's so February, it's clearly yeah. a lack of. It's a, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's clearly a lack of exposure, I think, of people who make those kind of comments. But you know, to the point, Bruce. I've had a very career because I've been given incredible opportunities. So my public speaking has has enabled me to to have access to boardrooms and conversations and people that I otherwise would not have had access to. And I've been mentored by phenomenal people. So Mrs. Buchanan when I was in public speaking, then Denny O'Connor when I was in business, then Richard Mabonya when I started my venture firm. I love the idea of being a perpetual white belt. So. Every stage that I'm operating at, I'm open to being to being taught. I'm very teachable. I love learning. I love asking questions because I genuinely don't know. And I've found that if you approach things with a sense of curiosity, a humility, a diligence of care, and an application of yourself, that the world will meet you halfway. That's been my
0: own experience. Um, and when we look at how you grew up, from the environment that you've grown up, and you become dare I say, successful. Um, And again, each person measures themselves differently. Do you see yourself as successful, by the way? Because a lot of people um, are still hustling no matter how successful they appear to be. Do you see Uh, yourself as successful? Have you reached a pinnacle? Are you satisfied?
1: It's a journey, Bruce. It's it really is a journey. Um, there are challenges at every single stage of the journey, and to each and at every single stage of the journey, you feel almost unequal to the task. And then, as you rise to it, you realize that you summit one mountain, and the next mountain comes. So, I think you know, financially, by God's incredible grace, I've had I've done well. But you know, the the, the you you have to take you have to take each moment as it comes. Um, I've certainly been more successful than the people I grew up with and I've been more successful than my peers. But I also recognize that it's a marathon and not a sprint and I'm just having my innings right now. Where I think I've been lucky is that I discovered my talent very early and I and I realized where I was maximized very, very early. And so what I'm great at, Bruce, is I, I really genuinely play to my strengths and I surround myself with phenomenal people who, play, who can play to my weaknesses. I was actually saying to one of my team members today that Cristiano Ronaldo is a phenomenal soccer player, but if you put him in defense, he'd be, he'd be good. He just wouldn't be as effective and as efficient as he is as a striker, and I really kind of think of myself as that. So in everything that I do, I've got phenomenal people around me who make sure that the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, and I get the support and help that I need, and everybody needs help and support, everybody.
0: Uh, and often, a lot of people think they can go it on their own, but um, it, it is in identifying those strengths that I think we bring out the best in ourselves and we, and we also uh, enable others to, to find their niches, frankly. I think, I mean, because uh, once our Johnny Clegg uh, said to him, why, why are you still, this was long before he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I said, why are you still going? I mean, surely you don't have to. And he said, I pull a long train. And I thought it was such a Johnny Clegg answer. Um, and he felt this huge, <laughs> huge responsibility. Such this huge responsibility that he was he'd created an ecosystem around him and the band and um the business of Johnny Clegg, and he just felt this obligation to continue for as long as he possibly could to keep everybody else going too, because there were people massively dependent on him.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. And I think it's the case certainly for for a lot of us. It is definitely the case for me. Um, people around me who are looking for help, support, assistance, and the rest of it. Um, and you feel you do feel an obligation. You do feel a duty of care to make sure that you show up and that you are the best version of yourself. And sometimes, you know, it's tough to say, but sometimes the, the, the best thing to do is the tough thing to do. Sometimes cutting the umbilical cord is just as important. And th- that, that for me took, took me a while to learn that lesson, Bruce, I must be honest. Cost me a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money trying to be the good guy. And one of the things I've learned is sometimes the good thing to do is the tough thing to do. And as I've grown and as I've matured, it's uh, it's been a tough lesson to learn. But um, thank God I've learned it, you know. I, I, I think about it, I'm 36 years old, I turned professional as a speaker at 19, I won the World Championship for the first time at 17. So even though I'm 35, actually, I'm 35 this year, I've kind <laughs> Keep of up. half my life, <laughs> you know, half, half my life I've been economically active and you know i'm at the stage at 35 that most people only reach at kind of 50 and i'm mm-hmm. i'm i'm honestly truly just blessed to have had that level of exposure what do you do with all this money that you make <laughs> <laughs> you become a gem, you oh, become
0: yeah. a bond villain because that's a bond villain laugh okay so we got that <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> um so, you know, when I, you know, when I uh, exited my business, what was that? About 5 5 years ago, um I uh, took a fair bit of the, the money that I had at the time and I started our VC firm. I've got to tell you, by the way, that we burned through all of it. So any advice out there for people who are, who, you know, about to make some retrenchment money or savings money or don't start a VC firm, it, it really is, they're, they're quicker ways with less stress to lose your money. Um, but you know, did that and uh, learned an awful lot in the process and was able to then raise our first fund. We're now in the process of raising our second fund. So I paid for a lot of the mistakes myself. And, and again, I would far rather it that I paid for the mistakes myself with my own money. It's allowed me to keep my name credibility and integrity, which I think is a very important thing in this game. Um, but what else do I do? I collect cars. So I'm a big car guy. I've got a, a kind of a car collection. I love V12 engines, like? so I race V12s. Um, like I've got a, well, I mean, I've, I, I you know. Just one. Also, you know, I might ask you
0: for the, the entire fleet. Just one.
1: What's your yeah. favorite? So, you know, I, I love I love the Kellerwood brand. So I'm a big Aston Martin guy. Anything from Enzo, I'm a big Ferrari guy. Um, I never quite understood the Bulls. So I've, I've driven a couple, but I'm not really a Lambo guy. But anything with a decent V12, that 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 that, that raw of the naturally aspirated sound is definitely my thing. I don't smoke. I don't drink. So, to anybody listening to this conversation, that's my that's my vice. Um, And I allow myself that advice. Um, Do you own some
0: or do you borrow them? Because a lot of people... Uh, I I own. You own. own. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Do you
0: drive the ones that you own as hard as you would ordinarily? Because these things are assets. They're things of value and they need to be looked after.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I treat them like princesses, but I absolutely drive them. I belong to a... A group, um, I belong to several groups, actually. So I belong to the Daytona Group. I belong to Veloce. And the guys organize these runs and will drive from here to Cape Town or something like that. And it's just a great time away with, you know, like-minded people looking to get away, spend some time together, who share the love of, of, you know, of the engine. And, um, and who just want to spend some time away. So I, I definitely drive them. I don't sit on them at all. I, I wish I did because then sometimes I wouldn't see the depreciation that one does. But I've learned that they, I learned a big trick actually about depreciation, which is a great money trick. You, mm-hmm. only, you only experience the depreciation if you sell it. So the trick is don't sell.
0: <laughs> Hold on to, to, the, <laughs> wheels, to the wheels. the wheels, We're unlikely ever to see you then in a Tesla or anything with a battery yeah
1: <laughs> no no in fact i posted a video this past weekend i was watching the grand tour and i saw this rimac which is an uh, italian car just destroy a honda nsx and a lamborghini aventador and I, th- I thought this is just insane that they can make electric cars do this of course it's the way they distribute power and the efficiency of the lithium-ion batteries but no i'm not a, i'm not that guy i i'm a when it comes to this i'm completely a hooligan i'm untethered at the seams, I love the sound of a raw V12 engine. And it's, got, it's specific for me. It's V12s. It's not V8s. It's not mm. V10s. It's not straight sixes. It's not v six. But yeah. there's something about that of a V12 that just lets you...
0: <laughs> Very quickly, worst money mistake you've ever made other than put it all into VC.
1: Um, Is that the worst thing you've done? Yeah, definitely. Uh, probably eroded the most amount of wealth, but, you know, also um, learned an awful lot. And my private equity stuff has kind of kept me afloat, so I've made a lot of it back, too. Um, and, I, you know, it's probably an unfair thing to say at the time, right now, because we're still mid-deal. So a lot of the businesses that I'm invested in, I'm still in the middle of the investment cycle. Probably as I'll exit, at a, you know, maybe anything between a 5 and a 12x multiple, I'll, it'll be a different story in two years' time. But, um, yeah, that's one. Uh, The other worst money mistake would probably be just trusting people who say, borrow me and I'll give it to you. something happens when, you know, your name is known, all of a sudden there's people start phoning you and you, you feel compelled and then you do so. And that's always a bad, bad idea.
0: Stand by your phone. I'm going to be be giving you a call directly after this, Vusi Temokwai. I didn't realize realize you were a soft touch for money. We need to go. Yeah, not not anymore. Not anymore. I've learned. Damn. It's worth worth (laughs) a try. Vusi Temokwai, thank you so much for um, joining us this evening. Vusi Temokwai, entrepreneur, public speaker, par excellence, on The Money Show on this Monday night.